Welcome to the Motoring Podcast, your weekly discussion of motoring news. This is episode 544 on Tuesday, the 26th of September, 2023. Hello, I'm Alan. Hello, I'm Andrew. And in a week where we quietly sing happy birthday to ourselves for the eighth time, we'll be asking how does one claim to change something that doesn't in fact change anything? In new new car news, we go back in time and wonder if we can have too much of a good thing. And in points of interest, we bring you the rallying van. I'm not sure I can deal with how deep and almost existential that became just there. It's only half past seven in the morning here. <laughs> Don't make me think like that. No, I'm sorry. Well, we go straight into new news. Now, uh, first of all, I'm going to start. Is it really, though? But, Come no, on. Well, first I need to say there isn't much new news. And secondly, mm. there's a strong argument that most of this is actually follow-up. But we've got no new news, so it's going in there. I will start with the main bit of Culture Wars news from last week, as it seems to be the section we have to start off with, and that is the announcement from the Prime Minister that the ban of new internal combustion engine-only vehicles from 2030 is now being pushed back to 2035. Can I just clear up? You're motoring podcast listeners, you know this stuff. You know by now that it is only purely internally combustion engines that was being stopped from 2030. Vehicles with a significant electric range, was that? But nobody really knows what that is. Significant zero emission. Significant zero emission uh, range were were just fine. So many hybrids, plug-in hybrids, all these kind of things were still probably okay. And I say probably okay because nobody really knows yet. No, we'll get on to that, though. Yes. Also, to back up what you were saying, just to reiterate again, if you're a long-time listener, you've heard us say this many times, no one was taking away our cars on New Year's Eve Hmm. 2029. (laughs) No, 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 no. Used cars, nearly new cars, were not going to just evaporate into the ether that night. There was nothing to stop you buying a used petrol or internally combustion engined car no post 2030 you were still fine to do that we felt we had to say that because a lot of very prominent voices and well-known voices who seem to not be able to understand things like basic facts and the truth i think what you mean is old who should know better yes should we get down off our high horse now (laughs) we've got a couple of articles linked in the show notes we're going to have an autocar one that actually uh, has, uh, we are promoting somebody else's podcast briefly, but it is an, an emergency editor's briefing that they have um, inserted into this autocar article where the editors of autocar get together to discuss this the day after this was announced and the ramifications. And it's 26 minutes long. It's a really interesting listen because mm-hmm. they make it clear what is and isn't involved. And they also discuss stuff we've been talking about uh, where the car industry still doesn't know what's going on. This has been yeah. so poorly managed from a communications point of view and information from the very start of the first announcement to do with this and how that has hampered the car industry. Mm-hmm. Do listen to that as well. But there's also one from Lease Plan that goes to explain what changes this makes. And it's effectively none whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. Essentially, there's a slight difference. The government has removed 
2030 ice only ban and that's it yeah yeah because everything else is still going ahead so stuff like the zero emission vehicle mandate which is meant to come into place at the the end of this year mm-hmm. still not really any information on that in fact practically none but alan we were told last week it was imminent the information yes imminent by somebody else's standards of imminent it seems okay it's fantastic this so that it's basically a wonderful opportunity to keep the stick with which to beat industry mm. and then change change nothing else make it all sound lovely for people on the high and go oh look at this look how wonderful we're being to you by changing absolutely nothing other than making an announcement and then making sure all the bits which are really awkward for industry uh, remain in place yeah being incredibly cynical, which I've got worse in the eight years since we started this podcast, uh, then it is an ability to claim how wonderful and far-sighted they were because the industry got there ahead of the proposed target. But it also what it what it really does mean as well is the government can go well. No, you've got extra years. We don't need to give any incentives to buy electric cars, which is what the day before. The Society of Motor Manufacturers and Traders had done. They had had to publicly beg again for any politician to listen to them, to understand the difficulties they were going through. But as Alan said, we don't know what the zero emission vehicle mandate is. Going off what the proposal was that was um, put out to consultation earlier this year, we are guessing that the 2024 target that all brands had to sell or register, sorry, register the percentage of their entire fleet to be zero emission is 22%. That then goes up over time to 2030, which then hits 80% of being zero emission. That's not changed. Mm -hmm. This is what's presumed. I have to make that clear. We still don't know. Yeah. We're 90 odd days away from that these rules coming into force and the companies having to work to them and we still don't know what they are. I am so glad I'm not running a car company at this moment. As much as I put the boot into every single car company at the moment, hmm. I am very glad I don't have to put up with this sort of nonsense to try and work too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Trying to deal with strategy and stuff. Things normally in place, you know, set decades out. Just, just nigh on impossible. The other thing we're not really mentioning this week, by the way, is Euro 7 being watered down as well. We've got too much of this stuff right now. They haven't formally announced it yet either. Yeah, exactly. It's it's sort of he said, she said. We didn't want to report that. But Hmm. for every vehicle outside of the 22%, it's allegedly a 15 grand fine. Hmm. But what will happen is two things. One, companies will buy credits from car makers that just do zero emission vehicles only. Mm -hmm. Well done, Tesla. You get to survive another year. (laughs) But it also goes to show it's just greenwashing. Yeah. And the other thing is that car manufacturers will throttle supply along the lines of how Suzuki did with the Jimny. Sir can have any car he likes just as long as it's this electric car. Yes, basically. There will be a link in the show notes to an autocar business article talking about the zero emission vehicle mandate as well. Hmm. Shall we go to France and 
talk about something that definitely isn't protectionism in any way, shape or form, but really good for the environment. Yeah, as long as my passport doesn't have a China stamp in it, I think I'll be okay. This is the news that France is revising their EV bonus eligibility rules. Currently, they give a cash incentive of between 5,000 and 7,000 euros for electric vehicles to encourage the uptake of the amount of electric vehicles on the roads, which is not what's happening in this country anymore. No. However, mm, they've noticed that quite a bit of these incentives are going to EVs made in China, and they're a bit worried that this is what we're told. They're a bit worried that this causes a bit of pressure on their domestic market. No, 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 no. Andrew, come on now. You've got this completely wrong. Have I? They're a bit worried that they're not actually going to make any net improvement on the the emissions globally. Oh, okay. So they're not saving France, they're saving the world. No, they're saving... It's it's for the good of all of us. It's for the environment. The greater good. What they're doing is they're saying, well, okay, the vehicles will only fall into the correct threshold if the energy mix used to create the new car, which the new EV, which is, of course, quite a lot of the the, the energy consumed by the new EV, uh, falls below a certain uh, CO2 threshold. Now, it just so happens that China's energy mix still depends quite a lot on coal, and as a result, their vehicles unfortunately don't meet the new rules that are saving the environment, Andrew. But hang on. We've been repeatedly told how China is absolutely monstering towards green energy. Yes, but it's still not as clean as France, because France has many nuclear reactors. The EU changed the rules and said nuclear was green. <laughs> when it comes to measuring CO2, France always comes out right out, the, right out front on, on that one. At point of energy generation, yes. Yes. <laughs> this gets down to many rabbit holes at this point. This is apparently not to do with uh, protectionism. Uh, which is only a politician, I think, could say that with a straight face. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a, fr- a French politician at that. There will be a Reuters article linked to in the show notes to explain that. But just of note, I saw just before coming on the call that the EU Commission, we talked about this last week, the EU Commission is investigating Chinese state subsidies for their home brands. Mm. But they've also spread that out to include any cars that are made in China and brought into Europe, and specifically mentioned Tesla in that, because people suddenly went, well, hang on, we get a lot of Tesla cars from China. So you're just just mm. looking at BYD and NIO. Well, mm, you sure? That's not quite true, because the Dacia Spring, um, which of course is part of the Renault Group, is built in China and brought to Europe. And as a result, would not qualify for the bonus. But it costs about as much as a paper bag anyway. Alan, do you want to take us on a very cheap ride to Edinburgh Airport? Nothing is cheap at Edinburgh Airport. It's one of Edinburgh Airport's most... Renowned? Egregious features. However, they are investing some of that £6 for 15 minutes to collect someone from outside the airport into charging infrastructure. And they're going to put in a whopping 40 new charging stations across three car parks, power ranging from seven 
to 22 kilowatt units, depending on, on where they are. X15 will be 22 kilowatt chargers, and the 20 will be 7 kilowatt chargers, where there's no time limit for the use, it says. Yeah, no time limit, but you are paying car parking fee. <laughs> yes, yes. So they could end up still being a very expensive charge, but, you know, it's there if you're away for a day, for example. Uh, if you're doing a, a day trip or, or two days away, then that could still be very useful to you. Think more choice, more options can only be a good thing. It is. And airports are a good place for this kind of stuff because vehicles are generally there for a set. You know how long the car is going to be there and all that kind of thing. I would like to see more low power charges, but hopefully that's something that will be expanded upon over time. I'm sure. My apologies to anyone who runs to our podcast, but we have reached the end of the first part. Yes, it's super short. Well, that makes up for last week. And the first part was about 45 minutes long. Sorry about that. Quick change to guilt minute this week. We're not going to guilt you at all. Well, we can't get... You can take implied guilt if you want. But yes, it sort of slipped past once again, our birthday. Um, And... As Andrew's written here, as we understatedly celebrate the eighth year of doing this podcast, uh, we do want to thank you all for listening. Amazingly to us in ever-increasing numbers, and we're really pleased that you guys enjoy uh, what we do. We enjoy doing it. It's a point in our week that we, we feel, well, I miss whenever I don't do it. Definitely. Thank you hugely for all your support over that time. Whenever we both stop choking to death and when life stops getting in the way, we do have a whole bunch of special editions, both recorded and still to record. Yep. They will get out. It's just with two of us with quite busy day jobs, other stuff as well to do. It's, it's it, yeah, it just tricky. it just takes time. Time time is our biggest enemy. Yeah, this year has been particularly constraining. <laughs> Yes, we should have our crises at the same time. Life would actually be easier to plan uh, if, if we managed that. Last but not least, we want to thank everyone who's helped us. Uh, all the PR teams uh, we've worked with continue to do so. Motoring Press, who've been pretty much awesome. Yep. Especially when, you know, way back eight years ago, when you had to explain to everyone what a podcast was which doesn't seem to be an issue anymore, as somebody was saying, why does everything have to be a podcast these days? And it's like, when I, when I was yes. a boy, we had to explain what a podcast was, you know. But yes, everyone who's helped out with presenting, who's come on as guests, uh, just everything you've been you're flipping great. Mm. Last but not least, all of you listening at home, for giving up time to listen to us, to feedback, everything you do, support us, Patreon and all that kind of stuff. It's really awesome. Thank you so, so much. Yep. Can we move on now? I feel slightly dirty. Yes. New, new car news. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's one of them. <laughs> yes. You can tell there's not a lot of new, new car news when we're telling you about the 2024 Audi Q4 e-tron, bringing more range and up to 335 brake horsepower. Yep. There's a new motor, there's faster charging, there's improved efficiency, uh, and there's a revived suspension. Blah. With a standard 77 kilowatt hour usable lithium ion battery, the range of the Q4 Sportback 45 e-tron is increased by 17 miles on the WLTP test cycle to 349 miles. Which is a good amount. It's a good amount. It's perfectly reasonable. 
jacked up coupe thing that looks just like all the other jacked up coupe things with a little bit of Audi at the front. And if that's what your company car scheme allows you to buy, I'm sure it will be more than decent enough. Yeah. There's no news on pricing, but it's expected that they will uh, go up slightly from what the current uh, Q4 e-tron is sold at. I, I don't know what no. that is. I imagine these are going to come in around fifty to 60,000. What do you reckon? Is that a good pitch right I at the minute? I think it'd be north of 50. Yeah. Even for yeah. the um, 281 brake horsepower, 80. So 281, that makes it a 45, Yes, apparently. It? That's rear-wheel drive only, which would seem to be all you would need. I'm sure. It's not as if you're going to go off-road in it. Yeah. Anyway, right. Uh, speaking of going off-road, ha <laughs> See, that's what eight years gives you. Slick today. That's as good. That's as good as it gets, folks. It's a bit older. This one. It's a couple of weeks. It is. Well, yes, it is a couple of weeks. This was this was invented a couple of weeks ago. It's the Oshi Okavango Land Rover Resto Mod. And by the way, this part of the show should be called New New Resto Mod News. Yes, because that's what the theme seems to be. Oshi Automotive was founded by a chap called David Lane, who grew up in the South African Wildlife Reserve, and he's basing this series of Land Rover-based resto mods, which are coming out, named after African rivers, on the vehicles from back there. It's the Okavango's a short wheelbase Defender 90 uh, with a removable bikini top doesn't have front doors or anything so there is actually room for your right elbow and your right shoulder therein is the first improvement well it does have a door it does have a door it's just it does it's have cut a door, off at the yes. window it's been made convertible at the window height uh, in the way of most south african wildlife reserve land rovers it comes with african acacia and mahogany wood trim marula red leather and a square weave carpet the dashboard is also updated to allow wireless phone charging bluetooth audio burmeister speakers plus more modern gauges. The bit that really interests everyone, I suppose, is the 3.5-litre Rover V8 in this first one, but it will also be available with a 6.2-litre LT1 V8 with new electrics, new brakes, thank goodness. You mean some. <laughs> a semi-active suspension system, thank goodness, and many other things. Uh, prices for this rather cool toy start from £225,000. Mm, I think it looks nice does look ace. It, it looks fantastic, by the way, and I'm sure it is beautifully built. You can tell it's resto mod because you can look down the sides of the one in the photos, and there isn't the distinctive, we rolled it over in the car park in Solly Hull, rippling down the side, for example. I'm going to move us on <laughs> to Frontline's MGB resto mod. They are bringing two options. You can have a 4.8-litre V8 engine one, or you can have an electric one. And this car article has some great pictures where it gives you two options on how the vehicles will look. One has been debumpered and decreased, de-seamed. Decreased. No, it's the same size as it was originally. Uh, and looks superb, but also so does the other one that is that does look very much in period, except for slightly larger wheels and stuff, but... That can be changed if you don't enjoy them. I would have the bumpers and stuff. Yeah, I, it just looks a little bit unfinished without them. Mm. The one that's shown here is the electric version, the BGT. Yeah, the B, B-double-E-G-T. 
An MGB GT is a handsome, handsome car yes. prior to the rubber bumpers. And a lovely thing. I like it. I don't know. You do wonder if a properly sorted one with an original engine and things wouldn't be just as nice. But this is a handsome thing. Lovely thing. Yep. So that publicly um, will be debuted at the Bista Heritage Sunday Scramble on the 8th of October, a couple of weeks away. Does look nice. Does look really nice. Uh, next one up, David Brown cars have revealed the Mini E-Mastered. I bet you can't guess what's happened to that one. Yes, it's been electrified. Again, it is a de-seamed, certainly not decreased because otherwise you'd never fit in it. Is it going this Mini shell with an, an electric motor, 110 miles. Uh, no rapid charging because why would you need it if you're in the middle of the city? And just an 18.8 kilowatt hour battery pack. Not 62 in 8.5 seconds, which is adequately nippy, but it will still cost you £150,000. A beautifully finished, tiny little electric luxury car for use out and about, I suppose. Yeah, I, d- I did find that funny in the car article that's linked in the show notes, where it says, in the latest, surprisingly costly creation from David Brown Automotive. <laughs> they are. They're, they're factories just opposite Silverstone. But it, it would look lovely next to your quarter of a million pound 90 O'Shea Okavango. It would look very nice. This would be for your commute during the week and then the other one can sit there and be admired. Yeah. I don't know. Are we getting too many resto mods now? Yes. I think it really puts into incredibly stark contrast that Fiat Panda 4x4 mm. that we covered the other week that was 30k. You're already going to have to have censored me once this, this show, but th- they are just a bit... They're a bit... There's so many, and they're all... They're just a bit too much now. They're just a bit much. And, and they're just a bit, oh, look, we've got to do this thing to be different. Oh, we've got to use this completely in-period wood from somewhere in the depths of the Amazon or something on the interior. And it's just like, why? Why do you have to do that? Could you not just use a plank of pine or something? Or, or I don't know, something else. Why does it always have to be this? Why does it have to be all about, oh, look, we've got this new type of stitching in the carpet and this new pattern of leather on the seats? There's so much of it now that we're a bit, it's difficult to get excited about them. Reinterpreting them for today means either sticking an LS engine in it, because you can LS all the things, or sticking an electric motor in it. That's all reinterpreting is, is you're either going for the hardcore, completely petrol person, or you're going for the, I want whatever it is, I just want it with an EV, even if the engine was part of the experience. Mm. The trouble is that many of the vehicles that are being reimagined aren't really great vehicles to reimagine. Land Rover Defender is, if you're off-road, it's fine. But if you're doing anything else, it is a totally and utterly unsuitable vehicle for just about anything. It really is. And in all honesty, I adore the Izzygonis Mini. I, I learned to drive in one. I love it. It's coloured the way I drive to this day. But it is mostly an unsuitable vehicle these days, unless you want to sort of pretend to be Twiggy. I don't know. The vehicles that we've just run through that they're reimagining, it's, it's, what's, what's the point? Why? You're not building anything that's more practical. It's quite nice, but I don't know why you need all the fancy woods and the fancy carpet weaves and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Is it an off-roader for off-roading, or is it for 
posing around in. And if it's for posing around in, for goodness sakes, you'd think you'd start with something better to pose around in than a flipping defender. I don't know. I'm I'm sort of sorry. You're a bit resto modded out, are you? Is that what you're telling me? I am totally resto modded out. I'm also absolutely bitter about the price of 9-11s as a result. Well, yes, we know that. Sorry, I wasn't trying to bring that up again. <laughs> but, you know, I, I am resto modded out. It's all now just down to people with bad taste trying to show off how much money they have. And I'm not really good at that. Should we move on from my moaning? Yes. Uh, and let's move on to one of the most weaselly announcements for a while from a company well known for weaselly press releases. Yes. Volvo has said that they are axing all diesel engines from spring 2024. Now, they will not be including them. We knew that they were being killed from the UK market, or they had been a while ago. Mm. Uh, I can't remember when that happened. But this is now from all their range. They are not going to be spending any R&D money nor building diesel engines themselves from early 2024. Which is the interesting bit, because what it doesn't say really is that there aren't going to be any diesel Volvos. It just says there aren't going to be any Volvo Volvo diesel diesel engines, (laughs) which does make me wonder about the other you brought it up when we were discussing before the Renault Gilia Ramco diesel engines and internal combustion engines and whether those in some markets may well find their way into Volvo cars mm. sorry SUV yes well no there were cars in other markets yeah it's a tricky one there are some I mean it may just be that we're reading too much into this through past experience <laughs> through past experience with the use of the word electrified from Volvo it's an interesting one, some very interesting wording in the car article. At no point does it say that they will stop selling diesel Volvos, just that they won't be making their own diesel engines. Yeah. Uh, last one of this section, before we move into something lighter and more enjoyable, is Audi. Again, we started this section with Audi, we'll end it with Audi. Audi is going to embrace a new model naming strategy. This could only go well, given Audi's recent history of model naming and numbering strategies. Well, they clarified their model naming before, because Hmm. there is now the 35, the 45, the 55, which all is very obvious what they all mean. Hmm. 35 things is not as good as 40 I still don't know what any of them mean at all. Well, they're bigger numbers. Bigger's better. You're sure? You're convinced of that? I, so I'm told. You're guessing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, it is. So what are they going to do this time, Alan, to to not confuse us in any shape or form? In a move of not confusion, they're going to make it much, much easier for us to identify their electric vehicles compared to their non-electric vehicles, or their electrified vehicles. So it's quite simple. Electric vehicles are going to have even numbers, and non-electric vehicles are going to have odd numbers. Okay. Let's take, uh, for an example, the Audi A6. The current Audi A6 becomes the A7. I'm not sure what happens to the current A7, but the A6 becomes the A7 because the A6 is going to be the A6 e-tron. Right, so, so that's the new the A6. No, no. The, the, well, the thing is, well, they're going to lessen it a bit, and it's going to be like TFSI and TDI and TSI. 
it's going to become a meaningless statement after the electric. You know it's electric because it ends with an even number, you know, like the A4 and the A8. Okay. Look, it's perfectly clear. Okay, right. Basically, it means everything gets renumbered. Similarly, if it's going to be an electric SUV thingy, which, let's face it, just about everything's going to be, um, then it's going to be a Q6. And that will replace the Q5. This is not helping, I don't think. People can click the link in the show notes and see if they can make sense of it. And when you do, please do get in touch with us via the contact page on the website, Murtering Podcast, the hub of all our activities. Um, yes. What a farce. Anyway, right, move on. Nice stuff. Nice stuff. Enough moaning. There's lots of moaning this week. Points of interest now. I'm going to start with the lunchtime read. And this is from a friend of the show, Alex Goy on motor1.com and it's about the Dron family and their connection and love of the Goodwood Revival Festival and this year Will Dron's daughter Will Dron is of course the son of Tony Dron who won at the Goodwood Revival three times on the trot in the Sussex Trophy from 2001 to 2003 and a very established and recognised and respected motoring journalist and yes. Yes, yes. Gentleman racer, I think, would be a nice way to describe him in the way that it used to be meant, not in the way that means you'd wear fancy string-back driving gloves. <laughs> yes. Evadron, who is Will's daughter, was taking part in the Setrington Cup at the Revival. So that's the little pedal car one. They wear mm-hmm. those gorgeous Austin J40s. Everyone does a Le Mans start and pedals furiously through a little chicane and gets down to the other end. So this is the story from the wonderful writing of Alex Goy, explaining the connection for the family and all this, and how the race went, etc. And it's just a, a lovely, lovely read to see a family's continued connection with what is an uh, amazing event, uh, the Goodwood uh, Revival Festival. Yep. And Alex is kind of handy with a camera as well as with the words. So there's some cracking photos to accompany it as well. Really nice article on Motorwonder.com. And well worth 15 minutes of your time just to buzz through at lunchtime and enjoy it. Yep. Alan, would you like to take us to the Mammoth List of the Week? The Mammoth List of the Week is an absolute monster. It is It is a downloadable PDF this week. Uh, sadly, not on the website. I have no idea why not. But it is the complete Cars of Colombo. <laughs> You're welcome. You are yeah, welcome. Yeah, well done, listeners. Andrew. 34 pages of analysis of the various various significant vehicles uh, and the roles they play uh, in Colombo. Spread over, as I say, 34 pages of nicely laid out PDF. It's really good. I- I'm loath to say, Andrew, do you, I'll tell you what, what surprised me most, right? Before I ask you what your favorite is. What surprised me most was just how long Colombo was a thing. Yes. But then there was a gap. So it was 71 to 78, and then 1989 to 2003, which explains why in some of the later episodes, there are Lexus LS400s and, and, and what I still think of as pretty new Mercedes SLs. Um, but then right back in the early days, it was very much uh, older, older Mercedes Adenauers and stuff. Mm. But Andrew, do you have a particular favorite? Oh, it's, it is so difficult. Um, but having spent a long time 
going through this list backwards You can waste a lot of time reading this. And sideways. I am going to go with Series 10, Episode 2, Caution. Murder can be hazardous for your health. And that is page 28. If you could open your hymn books there. <laughs> page 28 in, it, in, your, in your handouts, yeah. Uh, and it is the Mercedes-Benz 560 SEC. Really? That's one of the more normal cars. I know, but it just... Yes. Mm. Very cool. Anyway, lots of good stuff, real variety, and then just interesting to see the, the, the evolution as well. Yep. Nice find. Well done. And finally this week, though, Andrew. Yeah, and finally, talking of finds, now we don't cover Rally. Uh, we don't tell you regularly to go to Dirtfish, but if you like Rally, go to Dirtfish. Mm-hmm. And on Dirtfish's site, I found this week an article all about Meet the Man and His Van that is a rally car. It is nuts. It is somebody taking a high ace rallying mm-hmm. and properly taking a high ace rallying. They fitted it out. It's a Japanese uh, rally driver, Takahiro Kitami, and he has absolute, I mean, he's mad as a box of frogs, clearly. He really is, yeah. Uh, but he has absolutely fitted this out, and there is a video on this article that shows you it in action. And if you ever want to see a high ace with the Scandi flick, this is mm. the video for you. He describes it as, it's quite similar to driving my Impreza, but the high ace engine performance is a bit lower. It means for the driver, the, the throttle is wide open a lot. Yes. Right. Just so your high ace is just like an Impreza. And the ground clearance doesn't look fantastic. Yeah, it's got a big skid plate there at the front. No, I know. It, it's really cool. It's really good. Again, there's, I think, making up for the lack of interesting and good news this week, that frankly, the, um, the points of interest more than make up for it. This is a yeah. point of interest strong show. He's confident that if he could change it to four-wheel drive and fit a more powerful engine, he would be competitive with the Rally 2s. And that's a forward control van. <laughs> Not short on confidence. No. And also uses a wheelbarrow to walk around. <laughs> it's Yes, well, yes, you'd have to, yeah. Got those seats out of the BMW M3 in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cool. Anyway, I think that's us for this week. It is. Folks, don't forget, you know, next week, you can give us any feedback, share your thoughts with the show at Motoring Podcast on Twitter and Instagram, on Facebook and on the contact page, motoringpodcast.com, the hub of all our activities. Remember, you can support us financially via Patreon, and please leave a review and rating on Apple Podcasts or however your podcast app lets you do such a thing. Andrew, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Best way to get in touch with me is if you search for Crap and Screen on Mastodon or Twitter, you should find me there. And Alan, if people would like to make you feel incredibly uncomfortable by saying congratulations on eight years of the Motoring Podcast, how would they best do that to you personally? Um, I'm at AJP Bradley, that's B-R-A-D-L-E-Y, on uh, almost all of the socials. I'm now on Blue Sky as well. I'm just trying to find out what works for me, really. So do connect and try and see and whatever. That was beautifully phrased, wasn't it? You've sold it to me. Yeah, really, really flogged it. But if you can't deal without our fine voices, then we'll be back very soon. But until then, I've been Alan Bradley. I've been Andrew Clues. And safe motoring. <laughs>